0: Section 7 of State of the Union Addresses 1849 to 1856. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Mark Ernest. State of the Union Address, President Millard Fillmore, December 6, 1852, Part 1. Fellow citizens of the Senate, and of the House of Representatives. The brief space which has elapsed since the close of your last session has been marked by no extraordinary political event. The quadrennial election of chief magistrate has passed off with less than the usual excitement. However, individuals and parties may have been disappointed in the result. It is, nevertheless, a subject of national congratulation that the choice has been effected by the independent suffrages of a free people, undisturbed by those influences which in other countries have too often affected the purity of popular elections. Our grateful thanks are due to an all-merciful Providence, not only for staying the pestilence which in different forms has desolated some of our cities, but for crowning the labors of the husbandman with an abundant harvest and the nation generally with the blessings of peace and prosperity within a few weeks the public mind has been deeply affected by the death of daniel webster filling at his decease the office of secretary of state his associates in the executive government have sincerely sympathized with his family and the public generally on this mournful occasion his commanding talents his great political and professional eminence his well-tried patriotism and his long and faithful services in the most important public trust have caused his death to be lamented throughout the country, and have earned for him a lasting place in our history. In the course of the last summer, considerable anxiety was caused for a short time by an official intimation from the government of Great Britain, that orders had been given for the protection of the fisheries upon the coasts of the British provinces in North America against the alleged encroachments of the fishing vessels of the United States and France. The shortness of this notice and the season of the year seemed to make it a matter of urgent importance. It was at first apprehended that an increased naval force had been ordered to the fishing grounds to carry into effect the British interpretation of those provisions in the Convention of 1818, in reference to the true intent of which the two governments differ. It was soon discovered that such was not the design of Great Britain, and satisfactory explanations of the real objects of the measure have been given both here and in London. The unadjusted difference, however, between the two governments as to the interpretation of the first article of the Convention of 1818 is still a matter of importance. American fishing vessels, within nine or ten years, have been excluded from waters to which they had free access for twenty-five years after the negotiation of the treaty. In 1845, this exclusion was relaxed so far as concerns the Bay of Fundy, but the just and liberal intention of the home government, in compliance with what we think the true construction of the convention, to open all the other outer bays to our fishermen, was abandoned in consequence of the opposition of the colonies. Notwithstanding this, the United States have, since the Bay of Fundy was reopened to our fishermen in 1845, pursued the most liberal course toward the colonial fishing interests. By the Revenue Law of 1846, the duties on colonial fish entering our ports were very greatly reduced, and by the Warehousing Act it is allowed to be entered in bond without payment of duty. In this way, colonial fish has acquired the monopoly of the export trade in our market and is entering to some extent into the home consumption. These facts were among those which increased the sensibility of our fishing interest at the movement in question. The circumstances, and the incidents above alluded to, have led me to think the moment favorable for a reconsideration of the entire subject of the fisheries on the coasts of the British provinces, with a view to place them upon a more liberal footing of reciprocal privilege. A willingness to meet us in some arrangement of this kind is understood to exist on the part of Great Britain with a desire on her part to include in one comprehensive settlement as well this subject as the commercial intercourse between the United States and the British provinces. I have thought that whatever arrangements may be made on these two subjects, it is expedient that they should be embraced in separate conventions. The illness and death of the late Secretary of State prevented the commencement of the contemplated negotiation. Pains have been taken to collect the information required for the details of such an arrangement the subject is attended with considerable difficulty. If it is found practicable to come to an agreement mutually acceptable to the two parties, conventions may be concluded in the course of the present winter. The control of Congress over all the provisions of such an arrangement affecting the revenue will, of course, be reserved. The affairs of Cuba formed a prominent topic in my last annual message. They remain in an uneasy condition and a feeling of alarm and irritation on the part of the cuban authorities appears to exist this feeling has interfered with the regular commercial intercourse between the united states and the island and led to some acts of which we have a right to complain but the captain general of cuba is clothed with no power to treat with foreign governments nor is he in any degree under the control of the spanish minister at washington Any communication which he may hold with an agent of a foreign power is informal and a matter of courtesy. Anxious to put an end to the existing inconveniences, which seemed to rest on a misconception, I directed the newly appointed minister to Mexico to visit Havana on his way to Veracruz. He was respectfully received by the Captain General, who conferred with him freely on the recent occurrences, but no permanent arrangement was effected. In the meantime, the refusal of the Captain General to allow passengers and the mail to be landed in certain cases, for a reason which he does not furnish, in the opinion of this government, even a good presumptive ground for such prohibition, has been made the subject of a serious remonstrance at Madrid, and I have no reason to doubt that due respect will be paid by the government of Her Catholic Majesty to the representations which our minister has been instructed to make on the subject." It is but justice to the Captain General to add that his conduct toward the steamers employed to carry the mails of the United States to Havana has, with the exceptions above alluded to, been marked with kindness and liberality, and indicates no general purpose of interfering with the commercial correspondence and intercourse between the island and this country. Early in the present year official notes were received from the Ministers of France and England inviting the government of the United States to become a party with Great Britain and France to a tripartite convention, in virtue of which the three powers should severally and collectively disclaim now and for the future all intention to obtain possession of the island of Cuba, and should bind themselves to discountenance all attempts to that effect on the part of any power or individual whatever." This invitation has been respectfully declined, for reasons which it would occupy too much space in this communication to state in detail, but which led me to think that the proposed measure would be of doubtful constitutionality, impolitic, and unavailing. I have, however, in common with several of my predecessors, directed the ministers of France and England to be assured that the United States entertain no designs against Cuba, but that, on the contrary, i should regard its incorporation into the union at the present time as fraught with serious peril were this island comparatively destitute of inhabitants or occupied by a kindred race i should regard it if voluntarily ceded by spain as a most desirable acquisition but under existing circumstances i should look upon its incorporation into our union as a very hazardous measure it would bring into the confederacy a population of a different national stock speaking a different language and not likely to harmonize with the other members it would probably affect in a prejudicial manner the industrial interests of the south and it might revive those conflicts of opinion between the different sections of the country which lately shook the union to its center and which have been so happily compromised The rejection by the Mexican Congress of the convention which had been concluded between that republic and the United States, for the protection of a transit way across the isthmus of Tijuanapec, and of the interest of those citizens of the United States which had become proprietors of the rights which Mexico had conferred on one of her own citizens in regard to that transit, has thrown a serious obstacle in the way of the attainment of a very desirable national object. I am still willing to hope that the differences on the subject which exist or may hereafter arise between the governments will be amicably adjusted. This subject, however, has already engaged the attention of the Senate of the United States and requires no further comment in this communication. The settlement of the question respecting the port of San Juan de Nicaragua and of the controversy between the republics of Costa Rica and Nicaragua in regard to their boundaries Was considered indispensable to the commencement of the ship canal between the two oceans, which was the subject of the convention between the United States and Great Britain of the 19th of April, 1850. Accordingly, a proposition for the same purposes, addressed to the two governments in that quarter and to the Mosquito Indians, was agreed to in April last by the Secretary of State and the Minister of Her Britannic Majesty besides the wish to aid in reconciling the differences of the two republics, I engaged in the negotiation from a desire to place the great work of a ship canal between the two oceans under one jurisdiction and to establish the important port of San Juan de Nicaragua under the government of a civilized power. The proposition in question was assented to by Costa Rica and the Mosquito Indians. It has not proved equally acceptable to Nicaragua, but it is to be hoped that the further negotiations on the subject, which are in train, will be carried on in that spirit of conciliation and compromise which ought always to prevail on such occasions, and that they will lead to a satisfactory result. I have the satisfaction to inform you that the executive government of Venezuela has acknowledged some claims of citizens of the United States which have for many years past been urged by our charge d'affaires at Caracas, it is hoped that the same sense of justice will actuate the Congress of that Republic in providing the means for their payment. The recent revolution in Buenos Aires and the Confederated States, having opened the prospect of an improved state of things in that quarter, the governments of Great Britain and France determined to negotiate with the chief of the new Confederacy for the free access of their commerce to the extensive countries watered by the tributaries of the La Plata and they gave a friendly notice of this purpose to the United States that we might, if we thought proper, pursue the same course. In compliance with this invitation, our minister at Rio de Janeiro and our charge d'affaires at Buenos Aires have been fully authorized to conclude treaties with the newly organized confederation or the states composing it. The delays which have taken place in the formation of the new government have as yet prevented the execution of those instructions, but there is every reason to hope that these vast countries will be eventually opened to our commerce. A treaty of commerce has been concluded between the United States and the Oriental Republic of Uruguay, which will be laid before the Senate. Should this convention go into operation, it will open to the commercial enterprise of our citizens a country of great extent and unsurpassed in natural resources, but from which foreign nations have hitherto been almost wholly excluded." The correspondence of the late Secretary of State with the Peruvian Chargé d'affaires relative to the Lobos Islands was communicated to Congress toward the close of the last session. Since that time, on further investigation of the subject, the doubts which had been entertained of the title of Peru to those islands have been removed, and I have deemed it just that the temporary wrong which had been unintentionally done her from want of information should be repaired by an unreserved acknowledgment of her sovereignty. I have the satisfaction to inform you that the course pursued by Peru has been creditable to the liberality of her government. Before it was known by her that her title would be acknowledged at Washington, her Minister of Foreign Affairs had authorized our charge d'affaires at Lima to announce to the American vessels, which had gone to the Lobos for guano that the Peruvian government was willing to freight them on its own account. This intention has been carried into effect by the Peruvian Minister here, by an arrangement which is believed to be advantageous to the parties in interest. Our settlements on the shores of the Pacific have already given a great extension, and in some respects a new direction, to our commerce in that ocean. A direct and rapidly increasing intercourse has sprung up with eastern Asia. The waters of the northern Pacific, even into the Arctic Sea, have of late years been frequented by our whalemen, The application of steam to the general purposes of navigation is becoming daily more common and makes it desirable to obtain fuel and other necessary supplies at convenient points on the route between Asia and our Pacific shores. Our unfortunate countrymen who from time to time suffer shipwreck on the coasts of the eastern seas are entitled to protection. Besides these specific objects, the general prosperity of our states on the pacific requires that an attempt should be made to open the opposite regions of asia to a mutually beneficial intercourse it is obvious that this attempt could be made by no power to so great advantage as by the united states whose constitutional system excludes every idea of distant colonial dependencies i have accordingly been led to order an appropriate naval force to japan under the command of a discreet and intelligent officer of the highest rank known to our service. He is instructed to endeavor to obtain from the government of that country some relaxation of the inhospitable and antisocial system which it has pursued for about two centuries. He has been directed particularly to remonstrate in the strongest language against the cruel treatment to which our shipwrecked mariners have often been subjected, and to insist that they shall be treated with humanity he is instructed however at the same time to give that government the amplest assurances that the objects of the united states are such and such only as i have indicated and that the expedition is friendly and peaceful notwithstanding the jealousy with which the governments of eastern asia regard all overtures from foreigners i am not without hopes of a beneficial result of the expedition Should it be crowned with success, the advantages will not be confined to the United States, but, as in the case of China, will be equally enjoyed by all the other maritime powers. I have much satisfaction in stating that in all the steps preparatory to this expedition, the government of the United States has been materially aided by the good offices of the King of the Netherlands, the only European power having any commercial relations with Japan. In passing from this survey of our foreign relations, I invite the attention of Congress to the condition of that department of the government to which this branch of the public business is entrusted. Our intercourse with foreign powers has of late years greatly increased, both in consequence of our own growth and the introduction of many new states into the family of nations. In this way, the Department of State has become overburdened. It has, by the recent establishment of the Department of the Interior, been relieved of some portion of the domestic business. If the residue of the business of that kind, such as the distribution of congressional documents, the keeping, publishing, and distribution of the laws of the United States, the execution of the copyright law, the subject of reprieves and pardons, and some other subjects relating to interior administration should be transferred from the Department of State, it would unquestionably be for the benefit of the public service. I would also suggest that the building appropriated to the State Department is not fireproof, that there is reason to think there are defects in its construction and that the archives of the government in charge of the department with the precious collections of the manuscript papers of washington jefferson hamilton madison and monroe are exposed to destruction by fire a similar remark may be made of the buildings appropriated to the war and navy departments the condition of the treasury is exhibited in the annual report from that department The cash receipts into the treasury for the fiscal year ending the 30th June last exclusive of trust funds was $49,728,386.89 and the expenditures for the same period likewise exclusive of trust funds were $46,007,896.20 of which $9,455,815.83 was on account of the principal and interest of the public debts, including the last installment of the indemnity to Mexico under the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, leaving a balance of $14,632,136.37 in the Treasury on the first day of July last. Since this latter period, further purchases of the principal of the public debt have been made to the extent of $2,456,547.49, and the surplus in the Treasury will continue to be applied to that object whenever the stock can be procured within the limits as to price authorized by law. The value of foreign merchandise imported during the last fiscal year was $207,240,101, And the value of domestic productions exported was $149,861,911, besides $17,204,026 of foreign merchandise exported, making the aggregate of the entire exports $167,065,937. Exclusive of the above, there was exported $42,507,285 in specie, and imported from foreign ports $5,262,643. In my first annual message to Congress, I called your attention to what seemed to me some defects to the present tariff, and recommended such modifications as in my judgment were best adapted to remedy its evils and promote the prosperity of the country. Nothing has since occurred to change my views on this important question. Without repeating the arguments contained in my former message in favor of discriminating protective duties, I deem it my duty to call your attention to one or two other considerations affecting this subject. The first is the effect of large importations of foreign goods upon our currency. Most of the gold of California, as fast as it is coined, finds its way directly to Europe in payment for goods purchased in the second place as our manufacturing establishments are broken down by competition with foreigners the capital invested in them is lost thousands of honest and industrious citizens are thrown out of employment and the farmer to that extent is deprived of a home market for the sale of his surplus produce in the third place the destruction of our manufacturers leaves the foreigner without competition in our market and he consequently raises the price of the article sent here for sale as is now seen in the increased cost of iron imported from England, the prosperity and wealth of every nation must depend upon its productive industry. The farmer is stimulated to exertion by finding a ready market for his surplus products, and benefited by being able to exchange them without loss of time or expense of transportation for the manufactures which his comfort or convenience requires. This is always done to the best advantage, where a portion of the community in which he lives is engaged in other pursuits, but most manufactures require an amount of capital and a practical skill which cannot be commanded unless they be protected for a time from ruinous competition from abroad hence the necessity of laying those duties upon imported goods which the constitution authorizes for revenue in such a manner as to protect and encourage the labor of our own citizens duties however should not be fixed at a rate so high as to exclude the foreign article but should be so graduated as to enable the domestic manufacturer fairly to compete with the foreigner in our own markets, and by this competition to reduce the price of the manufactured article to the consumer to the lowest rate at which it can be produced. This policy would place the mechanic by the side of the farmer, create a mutual interchange of their respective commodities, and thus stimulate the industry of the whole country and render us independent of foreign nations for the supplies required by the habits or necessities of the people. Another question, wholly independent of protection, presents itself, and that is, whether the duties levied should be upon the value of the article at the place of shipment, or where it is practicable, a specific duty graduated according to quantity as ascertained by weight or measure. All our duties are at present ad valorem. A certain percentage is levied on the price of the goods at the port of shipment in a foreign country. Most commercial nations have found it indispensable, for the purpose of preventing fraud and perjury, to make the duties specific whenever the article is of such a uniform value in weight or measure as to justify such a duty. Legislation should never encourage dishonesty or crime. It is impossible that the revenue officers at the port where the goods are entered and the duties paid should know with certainty what they cost in the foreign country, yet the law requires that they should levy the duty according to such cost. They are therefore compelled to resort to very unsatisfactory evidence to ascertain what that cost was. They take the invoice of the importer, attested by his oath, as the best evidence of which the nature of the case admits but everyone must see that the invoice may be fabricated and the oath by which it is supported false, by reason of which the dishonest importer pays a part only of the duties which are paid by the honest one, and thus indirectly receives from the Treasury of the United States a reward for his fraud and perjury. The reports of the Secretary of the Treasury heretofore made on this subject show conclusively that these frauds have been practiced to a great extent. The tendency is to destroy that high moral character for which our merchants have long been distinguished, to defraud the government of its revenue, to break down the honest importer by a dishonest competition, and, finally, to transfer the business of importation to foreign and irresponsible agents to the great detriment of our own citizens. I therefore again most earnestly recommend the adoption of specific duties wherever it is practicable, or a home valuation, to prevent these frauds i would also again call your attention to the fact that the present tariff in some cases imposes a higher duty upon the raw material imported than upon the article manufactured from it the consequence of which is that the duty operates to the encouragement of the foreigner and the discouragement of our own citizens for full and detailed information in regard to the general condition of our indian affairs i respectfully refer you to the report of the secretary of the interior and the accompanying documents. The Senate, not having thought proper to ratify the treaties which have been negotiated with the tribes of Indians in California and Oregon, our relations with them have been left in a very unsatisfactory condition. In other parts of our territory, particular districts of country have been set apart for the exclusive occupation of the Indians, and their right to the lands within those limits has been acknowledged and respected but in California and Oregon there has been no recognition by the government of the exclusive right of the Indians to any part of the country. They are therefore mere tenants at sufferance, and liable to be driven from place to place at the pleasure of the whites. The treaties which have been rejected propose to remedy this evil by allotting to the different tribes districts of country suitable to their habits of life and sufficient for their support. This provision, more than any other, it is believed, led to their rejection and as no substitute for it has been adopted by congress it has not been deemed advisable to attempt to enter into new treaties of a permanent character although no effort has been spared by temporary arrangements to preserve friendly relations with them if it be the desire of congress to remove them from the country altogether or to assign to them particular districts more remote from the settlements of the whites it will be proper to set apart by law the territory which they are to occupy and to provide the means necessary for removing them to it. Justice alike to our own citizens, and to the Indians, requires the prompt action of Congress on this subject. The amendments proposed by the Senate to the treaties which were negotiated with the Sioux Indians of Minnesota have been submitted to the tribes who were parties to them, and have received their assent. A large tract of valuable territory has thus been opened for settlement and cultivation, and all danger of collision with these powerful and warlike bands has been happily removed. The removal of the remnant of the tribe of Seminole Indians from Florida has long been a cherished object of the government, and it is one to which my attention has been steadily directed. Admonished by past experience of the difficulty and cost of the attempt to remove them by military force, resort has been had to conciliatory measures." By the invitation of the Commissioner of Indian Affairs, several of the principal chiefs recently visited Washington, and whilst here acknowledge in writing the obligation of their tribe to remove with the least possible delay. Late advices from the special agent of the government represent that they adhere to their promise, and that a council of their people has been called to make their preliminary arrangements. A general immigration may therefore be confidently expected at an early day." The report from the General Land Office shows increased activity in its operations. The survey of the northern boundary of Iowa has been completed with unexampled dispatch. Within the last year, 9,522,953 acres of public land have been surveyed and 8,032,463 acres brought into market. Acres in the last fiscal year there were sold, 1,553,071, located with Bounty Land Warrants, 3,201,314, located with Other Certificates, 115,682, making a total of 4,870,067. In addition, there were, reported under Swamp Land Grants, 5,219,188, for Internal Improvements, Railroads, etc., 3,025,920, making an aggregate of 13,115,175, being an increase of the amount sold and located under land warrants of 569,220 acres over the previous year. The whole amount thus sold, located under land warrants, reported under swampland grants, and selected for internal improvements exceeds that of the previous year by 3,342,372 acres, and the sales would without doubt have been much larger but for the extensive reservations for railroads in missouri mississippi and alabama acres for the quarter ending thirtieth september eighteen fifty two there were sold two hundred forty three thousand two hundred fifty five located with bounty land warrants one million three hundred eighty seven thousand one hundred sixteen located with other certificates fifteen thousand six hundred forty nine reported under swamp land grants 2,485,233, making an aggregate for the quarter of 4,131,253. Much the larger portion of the labor of arranging and classifying the returns of the last census has been finished, and it will now devolve upon Congress to make the necessary provision for the publication of the results in such form as shall be deemed best. The apportionment of representation on the basis of the new census has been made by the Secretary of the Interior in conformity with the provisions of law relating to that subject, and the recent elections have been made in accordance with it. I commend to your favorable regard the suggestion contained in the report of the Secretary of the Interior that provision be made by law for the publication and distribution periodically of an analytical digest of all the patents which have been or may hereafter be granted for useful inventions and discoveries, with such descriptions and illustrations as may be necessary to present an intelligible view of their nature and operation. The cost of such publication could easily be defrayed out of the patent fund, and I am persuaded that it could be applied to no object more acceptable to inventors and beneficial to the public at large." An appropriation of $100,000 having been made at the last session for the purchase of a suitable site, and for the erection, furnishing, and fitting up of an asylum for the insane of the District of Columbia and of the Army and Navy of the United States, the proper measures have been adopted to carry this beneficent purpose into effect. End of Section 7. Recording by Mark Ernest.